Thursday for the DSR and Friday for Game of the Week from 7 to 10. For everyone in studio, I'm Jeremy saying so Gives to Perry. Perry through the middle. Touchdown, Michigan! And the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27 to 24, and the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. WCBN.org. On to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds your breath, Ann Arbor, as Navarre gets set. Places down. Kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And we'll get to Obama's maybe most successful week of his presidency uh, in a sec, but I guess you and I both uh, spent a lot of time last week at the Ann Arbor Film Festival. Yeah, and I just wanted to uh, sort of commend uh, the organizers uh, for another... uh, Really extraordinary uh, experience at the film festival, particularly executive director Donald Harrison, uh, Maria Feldman, operations manager, and uh, Becca Keating, community development manager. Uh, present throughout the whole festival, uh, helped facilitate a number of interviews that WCBN was uh, granted with filmmakers and so forth. And uh, just a pleasure overall. And I even agreed with most of the judges' decisions, uh, with one exception that I do want to mention because. I did some uh, looking around online today, and the film that I thought was the much better documentary and should have won the Best Documentary Award is available on DVD, mm-hmm. and uh, short of its making a reappearance uh, here in town, which it possibly might, uh, it was uh, just an extraordinary film called Tehran Has No More Pomegranates, uh, a very playful, uh, historical look at the development of the city of Tehran 
And uh, I should have expected that uh, delightful Iranian sense of humor to really come through. And it certainly did. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was a much stronger film as well as a stronger documentary than the one that won. As good as the subject matter of the Bernadette uh, film was, I want to give a bit of a plug for Tehran Has No More Pomegranates. I think most listeners would find it a very interesting and enjoyable film. Well, I meant to see that movie, but I walked in by accident to the Kenneth Anger presentation, which was okay because uh, I was going to miss the... Uh the other day that uh, was devoted to his movies and i saw three of the four but i wanted to give a plug for the documentary that i since i didn't see pomegranates um that i thought uh was better than bernadette and that was petropolis yeah i saw that one too and that was also very good for Uh, a couple of different reasons yeah that was a fascinating movie because it was basically um, it perhaps didn't win because it it wasn't innovative or experimental or any of those things and I guess sometimes the public needs to realize that the jurors are filmmakers. Indeed, yeah. And they sometimes go for obscureness in the film craft area of making films, perhaps. There may be a formalist agenda in or some of the decision-making. Yeah. Maybe a couple of them got hit over the head by two-by-fours. <laughs> we don't really know, but... Um, well, the Petropolis film was very strong visually because... Yeah. Uh, even if you were to turn the sound down and ignore the text that came up on the screen from time to time, beautiful film yeah. in that these overhead aerial flyover shots of Alberta, acres and acres of uh, forest land in Alberta, and then you rise over the crest of a hill and see the acres and acres of mind-numbing devastation that l- begin to look like abstract and surreal art mm-hmm. as the very surface of the earth is turned over pillaged exactly and it it had a quality of uh, apocalypse now with the helicopter sort of you know because helicopters don't move that fast so there was something visually compelling about it but i thought that it uh reinforced this um petroleum oriented energy economy that the globe has that's so frightening because you could see this enormous this huge track of land that, in fact, only represented 3% of what is eventually going to be an area that the documentary claimed uh, is going to be the size of England, in which they're literally taking trees out and digging up dirt that's got this bitumina, bituminin uh, uh, tar substance that's basically a heavy petrochemical that is then infused with hot water. And the, the water-wasted in making this oil, because it's heavy oil that's then piped. Yeah, three barrels of uh, steamed water yeah. uh, to create one barrel of the bitumen. Incredible cost. And my only criticism of it is I wish they'd done a, a better economic analysis of, in other words, they got to the energy, but the cost per barrel mm. that this is costing to produce oil, because it's my understanding that the Alberta tar sands are sort of dependent on oil being at least 50 or $60 a right. barrel for it to be profitable. But given the fact that it's the second largest, quote, petroleum reserve in the world after Saudi Arabia, and given the fact that uh, the United States is importing this oil through these pipelines, um, leaves you feeling sad about what's actually going on in this uh, enormous watershed area of 
uh, basically Wilderness Canada. And uh, the website, this, was, this movie was made by Greenpeace, and I unfortunately misplaced my notes on this movie, but Petropolis-Film is basically the website that you can check this movie out on. Uh, it was made in Toronto, Canada, and uh, Green, Greenpeace either made the movie directly or financed it, and I thought that it was visually an incredibly compelling um, documentary in the sense of combining the visual experience with the sad reality of um, modern civilization and misplaced priorities and um, what's really going on in the world, because... Uh, Seeing those pools of filthy water, filthy polluted water, yeah. uh, almost an art form in and of itself. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like, like a abstract, surreal, like a Jackson Pollock just yeah. throwing. You know, and just seeing the enormous bulldozers and steam shovels uh, piling this dirt uh, into uh, dump trucks that are then being hauled off site and at to another processing area is was. Uh, I thought very profound. Yeah, so I guess the documentary category itself was fairly strong at the film festival this year, but uh, just our picks didn't <laughs> didn't, didn't collect. win. But uh, <laughs> listeners who were not able to see those films both are uh, strongly recommended. And it's interesting because while uh, this movie was showing just this past week, it's interesting that the United Nations, uh, both in an article from Reuters. And a article uh, authored by Leslie Kaufman. Just wanted to read these two quick environmental uh, items uh, that are associated with the Petropolis movie in a uh, vicarious way. The last decade was the warmest on record, the World Meteorological Organization said in a report on Thursday of last week. This is dated the 26th. The finding by the association's a UN agency corroborates research by NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, which has already said that its measurements show that the period from 2000 to 2009 was the warmest since modern instrumental recording of temperatures began in the 1850s. And then the other one that's interesting, uh, once again, deforestation slowed in the past decade in the first sign that global conservation efforts are bearing fruit but an area the size of Costa Rica is still being destroyed each year, said the United Nations on Thursday. A report in the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization found that about 32 million acres of forest a year were converted to other uses or through a loss of natural causes in the past decade, down from 39 million acres a year in the previous 10 years. The net loss of forest area slowed to about 13 million acres a year from 2000 to 2010, down from more than 20 million a year in the 1990s, thanks largely to an ambitious tree planting programs in Asia, efforts by major offenders like Indonesia and Brazil to reduce deforestation have helped reverse the trend. So it is important to realize that with deforestation, which is, uh, you know, wood and forests are a renewable ecosystem and a renewable resource. Uh, when government takes tangible efforts to reclaim the land and replant forests, they can be regrown. That's some progress. The sad thing with this uh, Petropolis movie is you have the distinct impression 
that this area can never be reclaimed because uh, what will grow there. Yeah, the damage uh, is too extensive, and the water is essentially toxified as it is used uh, as a sort of a disposable uh, resource. And maybe it would be a good place to uh, relocate Rush Limbaugh, who has vowed to move to Costa Rica. <laughs> Apparently he's retracted that vow <laughs> if the health care reform bill passed. He didn't realize Costa Rica had socialized medicine. <laughs> Why, that may as well move to Cuba. So, uh, yeah, if he wants a good old-fashioned third-world uh, medicine, there are plenty of countries that he can move to, but I think one of the cesspools in the Alberta tar sands may be able to hold Rush Limbaugh's ample ego. Indeed, that would be just the uh, right setting for it. Well, of course, there's a kind of a breaking story. It's probably well known by now, but uh, federal agents active in Michigan over the weekend. And, of course, it's been some years since there has been a big militia-related story connected uh, to the state of Michigan. But this, of course, is just in Adrian, not mm -hmm. all that far from here. It's a religious militia group who called themselves Huttery. And I need to do more research into what the origin of that word is but the individual who is currently, as far as I know, still an active man out um, for out for uh, Josh Stone, the son of uh, David Stone, who goes under the name of Captain Huttery. Um, there was a raid in Adrian over the weekend, and there are a number of men facing federal conspiracy and attempts to use weapons of mass destruction charges. Uh, of course. There are some on the chatter on the Internet saying, well, just because the government suspects them doesn't mean that they're actually guilty of anything. And, of course, obviously that's true. But uh, when you look at the rhetoric of uh, this uh, organization, uh, for example, this statement, which uh, can be found on a Huttery uh, website, we do not follow any county or state lines. We are an independent unit subject to God's laws and guided by the testimony of Jesus. Well, hey, uh, poor, hey, poor, Jesus is here. This is a curious little bit of rhetoric, especially when one considers the language of Jesus himself upon his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. When the Apostle Peter drew a sword, Christ said, no, 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 put that away. Not into the weapon thing, Jesus. Uh, I think that's borne out again and again in the sacred text. Uh, so while these people uh, believe that they uh, are guided by the testimony of Jesus, uh, clearly there's something else afoot. The ex-wife of uh, David Stone was quoted as saying, he's got a temper. He can get radical. He wants things done his way. Well, that almost sounds like a bumper sticker for John McCain. Yeah. Except he's not a radical. He's, he's mavericky. But uh, God only knows what will uh, end up... Uh, you know, the consequences of this investigation, these charges, but uh, not too big of a surprise that this sort of activity... Uh, yeah, and there's been a proliferation of these kinds of organizations. Uh, atmosphere of, atmosphere uh, of hatred uh, associated with the teabaggers. Hysteria, and I, I like to call the Tea Party Nation, since it's TPN, or their initials, the Twits, the Prats, and the Nincompoops. Well, really, in another way, they're almost very much like Tories. I mean, they will call themselves Tories. 
Well, they're kind of clueless about how we obtain these deficits. Uh, it'd be nice if Sarah Palin uh, got a little more education somewhere. Well, she's only got the two hands to yeah, write notes to on. write so notes down and writing them on her forearm to attribute all these uh, structural deficit uh, situations with the state and federal governments. Uh, you know, to solely to Barack Obama is ludicrous. I mean, there's an element of racism. In fact, there was another late-breaking story today that Eric Cantor, uh, who went on some tirade last week, he is a the Republican whip in the House. Um, he represents a district in for, uh, Virginia. His congressional uh, office was shot at last week, and then he came out and had a press conference denouncing the Democrats for trying to exploit... Uh, the threats and the violence that have been going on. But apparently, in a late-breaking story, there was a man arrested today, another weirdo. Uh, Sounds like a one-man army. But uh, he, of course, had uh, blatantly anti-Semitic attacks on Cantor and his wife and family. Cantor happens to be Jewish. Um, And, of course, Jesus is here. (laughs) He's everywhere. Yes. He's MC 900-foot Jesus. <laughs> he extends so from back the, up, people. the Alberta tar sands to the panhandle of Florida and every place in between. And, of course, it's this weird sort of amalgam of these Tea Party uh, people. You know, there was a Sunday uh, New York Times article about them, and I didn't bring the article in, but the headline suffices with no jobs, plenty of time for a tea party. <laughs> well, no jobs and no real interest in doing a little research uh, into the basic facts. Yeah, and it was interesting because there was a, a man from Michigan that was quoted extensively in the article. I don't remember his name or exactly where he was from, but he had basically lost his job because of free trade agreements, and he knew it. Um, and, of course, these free trade agreements are part of this... 40-year effort that really dates back to Richard Nixon and the so-called GATT agreements that got the ball rolling on the WTO, the NAFTA, NAFTA. momentum, etc. And um, to be honest with you, the the only organized uh, political movement that opposed free trade agreements besides uh, a few dipsomaniacal, maniacal professors... To uh, paraphrase H.L. Mencken, were the labor unions right. who were seeing the connection between the growth of the Japanese auto industry in the 1980s, for instance, free trade agreements, and uh, and whatnot, and indeed, um, trade agreements have benefits, winners and losers, and unfortunately for uh, many uh, in the Midwest, we've been the losers, but there are other states that have been losers. There have been Massive job losses in the Carolinas, for instance, in the textile industry. Um, Surprisingly, uh, Texas is actually one of the leading job loss states uh, from small-scale manufacturing that's occurred in the last decade. And indeed, the facts are, if uh, the man from Michigan would like to check out the the actual facts, uh, Obama's got... Very little to do with this. Uh, 25% of the manufacturing jobs were lost here in the United States while George W. Bush was president. Now, we know precisely why that was occurring, and that was as China rose, uh, 
we sank. Mm. And this credit card economy that's been created, uh, both by excessive debt created by the business sector, the government sector, the federal government sector, and uh, person, you know, individuals with, uh, you know, the credit card nation economy that we've developed over the last uh, 30 years, is a paradigm that's simply going to have to change. And it's being forced on the American people, not by Barack Obama, but by the decades of myopia, <laughs> by the inability to have um, constructive and public debate about the consequences of free trade agreements and the decline of the um, manufacturing sector here in America. You can see this related also to all the news stories lately about state governments that have massive budgets that they need to close. Schools are closing. School years are being shortened. State governments are realizing, well, we can't tax uh, manufacturing uh, anymore because those jobs ain't here. We got to tax services. So when you see these articles about taxes going up on services and, um, oh, I don't know, maybe they should uh, tax... Uh, Bullets. What was it? What was it? Yeah, bullets, gun sales. But I, I it, was, it was something involving the RNC where uh, an official in in uh, in uh, Southern California spent two thousand dollars at a bondage strip club. <laughs> and I thought, why did he bother? He should have come and seen the Kenneth Anger movies here in Ann Arbor for nine dollars. <laughs> oh boy, he's in trouble. There's an investigation underway. Well, who knows what needs to be taxed, but certainly uh, government is trying to co come up with creative ways to raise money to cover these massive budget shortfalls that are in the budget. So when Sarah Palin goes out to, uh, what was the name of this uh, city? Searchlight, California. <laughs> well, that's well named for her, uh, I thought, hmm. Sounds like uh, her needs intellectually. Sounds like a, a hidden Jesus code in there. <laughs> Searchlight. Wasn't it the Watchtower? Is well, the, maybe uh, I was thinking there'd be a bunch of people in the crowd magazine. with flashlights singing George Clinton. <laughs> yeah, flashlight, neon light. Like the guy that gave the uh, lecture on Finnegan's Wake. George Clinton was so smart he he would just show up at the concerts and let the audience do all the singing. <laughs> just hold the mic out. <laughs> you do the work. Well, we'll give her a brain damage award for, uh, once again, uh, ripping into just nonsense. Uh, here's her rhetoric that's so charming. How's that hopey, changey thing working out for you? We need a commander-in-chief, not a professor of constitutional law giving us a lecture. We're saying the big government, big debt, Obama-Pelosi-Reed spending spree is over. You're fired. We're going to. We're not going to sit down and shut up. Well, I kind of wish you would. Hopi changey. Hopi changey. That sounds like uh, some sort of new uh, Indian tribe. Mavericky. <laughs> Stupidity. She's a real work in progress. And speaking of uh, works in progress, let's give Mike Cox, uh, our Attorney General, a Brain Damage Award uh, in an obvious uh, 
I don't know, stroke of political opportunism, it's important to realize that uh, Mike Mike Cox is running for uh, governor of the state of Michigan on the Republican uh, candidacy uh, platform, and um, he has joined a lawsuit <laughs> uh, challenging the constitutionality of health care. And what's interesting about this is Michigan joins Colorado, Pennsylvania, and the state of Washington um, who have decided to unilaterally file lawsuits on behalf of their states against the objection of the sitting governor in those states, with uh, governor, the governor of Washington, for instance, saying, uh, the attorney general, uh, Rob McKenna, I don't know who he represents. He doesn't represent me. So this will be a very interesting well, this is obviously a unilateral agenda. I mean, there are, of course, yeah. going to be some in the state of Michigan who would agree with and support that. But as a, an administrative figure, there's no impetus to file those charges unless somebody presents. I mean, you can't just decide, you know what I'm going to do? And in Cox's case, it's probably publicity. Exactly. And the thing that's weird about it is, of course, this issue of nullification was decided Two and a half, well, a century and a half ago. In other words, some of the reactionaries at this point, it's not good enough for them to go back to the 1950s and <laughs> Harriet and Ozzy and Leave it to Beaver and Betty Crocker and the sort of idyllic theory of uh, suburban bliss that, Amer that America enjoyed back then when it was duck and cover. Right. <laughs> and all of the other... Stay in your places. Pleasant, pleasant things about the 1950s and I don't was born in the 1950s, so I don't knock him too much. There were good things about the 1950s. Um, gee, that's when the interstate highway system was built. But these people want to go back to John C. Calhoun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Turn, you know, th this is like the Taliban and going back to the 12th century. <laughs> uh, so we'll give Mike Cox a brain damage award. It's interesting. One of the states where the governor is trying to force the attorney general. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. the, the governor is a, is a Republican. Uh, Mr. Perdue, Sonny Perdue, is uh, teed off at Thurbert Baker, who uh, is the attorney general of Georgia, an African-American, who uh, stated um, in, in response to Sonny Perdue's request that the state join the lawsuit, and I'm quoting here from... Uh, Kevin Sachs' article in uh, Sunday's uh, New York Times, the 28th. I concluded that any litigation would fail, said Mr. Baker in an interview, and it would cost the taxpayers of Georgia significant amounts of money. The case has no legal merit. <laughs> He's the expert on law, Sonny Perdue, with his... Uh, I don't know what to call that guy. He's another opportunist who's trying to exploit the... Uh, the confusion about health care, mm. but the idea that it's totalitarianism, socialism, communism, or, you know, even government-run health care is ludicrous. As I said last week, this is simply a very modest insurance reform package that, on, on the positive side, gets rid of the pre-existing um, condition element to insurance denial mm -hmm. and does expand coverage to 32 million Americans with subsidies, but it's private insurance. There is no government takeover of health care. 
It's insurance reform, but uh, overstating the facts. And some it, people want to believe uh, the fear. I yeah. mean, because they it's comfortable uh, for them to be afraid, as as strange as that may sound. Um, we're nearing the uh, top of the hour, and I, I think Morgan might be uh, doing the program tonight, so we'll... Uh, yeah, we're, we're at sort of a disadvantage. We noticed that the clocks have stopped at uh, <laughs> 6.15, and we know that's not right. Well, just a few minutes left. I think I've got, uh, yes, two minutes left, 6.58 here by my watch. Um, by this time next week, we'll have to talk more about it then, and we see what has transpired, but it's very likely that the Labor Party will have withdrawn from Netanyahu's coalition. All the signs are pointing to that. And, of course, it's surprising. I will confess to being surprised at the uh, extent of the pressure that uh, Hillary Clinton and President Obama have been. I mean, it's the cold shoulder yeah. treatment for Netanyahu, and that's exactly what the situation is calling for. Well, is, it's interesting uh, because, measures. because this is a, you know, a fester, has been a festering problem for uh, the American government for many years. I mean, even uh, the Reagan administration opposed uh, the expansion of settlements. Yeah. Um, the problem is not Israel. The problem is Likud. Right. That distinction needs to be made. Indeed. And it's very interesting that David Petraeus is the one that got involved with this directly. He is linking these settlement uh, expansions to the growth of terrorism mm -hmm. and pointing out, and I think that he may be the first big official to point this out publicly, is that it, it, when Likud is expanding settlements against, they're hurting America's interests. And as I have argued for many years on this show, Likud does not have America's interests at heart. They have their own interests at heart, and America needs to see that. And they don't even have Israel as it stands now at heart. They well, have a sort of a idealized agenda yes. at heart. And the Israeli public is divided on the issue of settlement. So it's very important for uh, listeners and, and people out there to understand that this is not a is Israel problem or a Jewish thing. This is a conservative party that has dominated Israeli politics since Menachem Begin came into power. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting that a couple of the prime ministers of Israel were connected with terrorist organizations back in the 30s, 40s, uh, in, quote, Palestine. Um, we, didn't get a, a, we didn't get on to this, but I think that one big, uh, big, big development last week uh, that we'll talk more about is the actual cut in um, nuclear arms that uh, the United States and Russia have agreed to. This is a big story. That's yeah. a big story because, as one arms expert put it, um, this is the first uh, truly post-Cold War nuclear arms reduction treaty. And uh, that is actually good news, and it's occasionally nice to report good news. So uh, more on that next week. And, of course, as you began the program with one of the best weeks of uh, Obama's presidency yet, a surprise trip to Afghanistan, there'll be uh, lots to talk about with regards to that as well next week. All right. Well, thanks to Andrew for engineering. You have been listening to Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Do stay tuned. Uh, Morgan's coming up next with Yazoo City Calling. And happy Passover.